Thank you, Shauna. I hope you were here last week and got to see Shauna's baptism. It was a great time of celebration. Not only is uh, she um, stepped forward and, and made that profession and, and that decision, but as others did as well. What a, what a great time. It's great to be with you this morning. I hope you had a good Christmas celebration. And as we get ready to come into the new year tomorrow, we're trusting that God is, is doing great things in your heart and life. And I want to invite you to turn to that passage that Shauna just read for us. Philippians chapter 2, and uh, we're only just going to look at verses 12 and 13 because of the richness of their content. You're starting to see a pattern here. We'll read a chunk of scripture, and then pastor doesn't get very far in it. Uh, Philippians is, is just so full of, of joy, of life, of Jesus, and, and Paul is directing our hearts once again to the person and work of Jesus Christ, and he's specifically showing how this plays out in our everyday life. So he's just gotten done in these first 11 verses of chapter 2 of exalting the resurrect, the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And he says, listen, this is your model, your example, and your strength for unity and for humility. And as you now go forth and as you live with one another, he, he's going to give them just some real practical, like what this looks like, and, and remember, this is all part of a section that began in chapter 1, verse 27. This is sort of a, all this has been here in chapter 2, the end of chapter 1, and now into chapter 2 through verse 18, has been an exposition of that phrase in chapter 1, verse 27, um, uh, what it's like to live as citizens of heaven worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he's been explaining that now since chapter 1, verse 27. And so here he comes into verses 12 and 13, and he says, Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now also in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Well, first of all, once again, I just want to direct your attention to that word therefore. He's, he's about to say, based on what we've been talking about now, here's how you should live this out. Here's how you should live out that life in Christ. Based upon the example of Christ, here's, here's what it looks like to live out that Christ-like mind. This is where the Christ-like mind should lead us. And if you're taking notes in your bulletin, we, we kind of just, rather than a, a regular outline, we kind of made a little statement here. And the, and the first part of it is, is what, what we're seeing here in verses 12 and 13 is the biblical picture of sanctification. It's a summary of what it means to grow spiritually. A lot, of, a lot of commentators think that these two verses are the best and most concise picture of what, what, it, what sanctification is. Now, that's, that's kind of a, it's a theological term, but basically sanctification is, is what we mean by it is that it, it's a description of what it means to grow in Christian maturity. It's, it's a shorthand for becoming more like Jesus. The, the New Testament uses lots of different words and images and pictures, uh, whether it's imitating Jesus, emulating Jesus, becoming more Christ-like, following Jesus, looking more like Jesus. All those are different phrases describing the same thing, this biblical concept of sanctification, becoming more holy, becoming more Christ-like in our life. Sanctification is simply this. It's, it's putting the gospel into action. It's why he says, work out your salvation. One writer defines sanctification this way. He says, it's the divinely wrought character change, freeing us 
from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. It's the daily act of turning away from sin and turning toward Jesus. we got to have both of those components for it to be sanctification. The turning away from sin, the saying no to temptation, and the turning toward Jesus, embracing his way of life, embracing a, the, 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 the daily living out of the gospel. What he, what he tells us here is that this is an ongoing process. And as we read the New Testament, and, and in fact, we know this even in our own life. We know that it's, a, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that happens overnight. One day, you, you have your struggles, your temptations, your battles, and the next day, you're perfect. You've got everything figured out. That's, that's not life. We know that. It, it takes time. And this passage is going to tell us a little bit about it. I, I, I thought of maybe a, a, a couple of illustrations to, to make us think of what what that work is. It's sort of like uh, those of you, many of you here have started your own business, and you know that where you're at now is not where you started. It was, a, it was a work in progress, and no matter how far you got, there was always something that you wanted to tweak in the business. No matter how much work you put into it, no matter how much success you had, you could always look and see, hey, there's room for growth here. We need to change this, or we need to, to buy this in order to be able to expand a little bit. No matter how much progress you make, you make, you know that there's still more to go. I, I think that if those of you who are in your 80s, and some of you, there's a few of you here in your 90s, you would say, I'm, I'm still not there yet. I've come a long way. Thank God I'm not the man or woman that I used to be, but I'm still not the person that I want to be. That's the picture of sanctification. I live in, I live in town in Clare. And uh, we live on the Tobacco River just before it opens up into the lake. And those of you who, who have seen the machinery out there know that they've started dredging the lake. Uh, it's been long waited for. We'd love to be able to just not uh, put our kayaks in the water and have to navigate through goose poop and mud. And so it's, it's pretty nice to see it now starting to open up. But one of the things they've, they know is that, is that it's, it's going to take a lot of work to get this dredge. And then because of the, the river bringing continuous silt into the lake, it's going to need to be an ongoing process if they want it to stay cleared out and to, and to continue to be a nice lake. Those are a couple of pictures, I think, of what the sanctification process is. But, but I, I want to get down in, a little bit into the nuts and bolts. So this passage gives us a biblical picture of sanctification. And here's the first half. We are called or commanded to live lives of active obedience. Paul says, work out your salvation. That, that verb there means to bring about, to produce, or to create. The, the tense of the verb indicates a continual, sustained effort. You can't let your guard down. Those of you, again, who, who have businesses know that you don't just, you don't just there's no cruise control. There's always a continual sustained effort. Those of you who are raising children know that there's no cruise control. There's a continual effort in raising them according to the word of God and in correcting them and loving them. Paul says, work out your salvation. Notice he doesn't say work for. The, the, the scriptures are clear. We do not earn 
our salvation. We don't work for the righteousness that God gives us in Christ Jesus. Scripture says that's through faith, through trusting, believing in Him, embracing Him through faith, through trust. It's not our our work that earns salvation. But what he's saying is is that you and I need to, to let your salvation be unleashed. Work it out. Let it go. Turn it loose in your daily life. The, the salvation is not something to be held on to. It's not a personal, private thing that nobody else sees. That's completely foreign to the New Testament. We're called to work out our salvation. Let it be opened up into the world. Notice, uh, well, you can't really see it in the, in the language here, but he's, the, the verbs are all in the, in the plural. He's, he's, he's inviting them to work this out, but also to remember to do it within the context of Christian community. We're not called to holiness in isolation. We're not called to live faithfully and to grow spiritually as little islands. Just me and Jesus. Just me, my Bible, and Jesus. Or me and my Bible and worship music and Jesus. It, it, it's not that way. We're called as God's people to be in this together. This working out of their salvation in the context of the passage reminded them that they're to do this in the context of the believing community and in the world. They, they, you, don't, you don't need humility and unity if you're just by yourself all the time. That was, that was the beginning of exhortation at the start of this chapter. The, the context is that they were to work out their salvation, live out their salvation, grow in holiness in the context of one another. Also, I just want to point this out. Notice, notice the wording. Work out your own salvation. I just, just want you to notice that uh, He's talking about you. He's talking to me. This is not a passage that you should be elbowing the person sitting next to you. Are you listening to the pastor this morning? No, no, no. Are you? Are you listening to the word of God this morning? That's the question. We get so wrapped up. And now, you've heard me talk about it. We, we, have, we do have a responsibility to one another. We're called to exhort and encourage one another. We're called to confess our sins to one another. We are in love called to come alongside others who are struggling or maybe walking away from Jesus. That's different. But here, he's saying, work out your own salvation. That is, re remember what God has called you to. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in other people's stories and situations, especially on social media, and, and we get so consumed with these generic um, faceless entities like... Uh, how bad the world is or the direction of our, our country. That, that, and and I'd say that we, we shouldn't have some concern there, but we need to first look at what God is saying to us, what God is convicting us of. That's why Jesus used an illustration. He said, he said you got to take that beam out of your eye before you start looking at the specks in other people's eye. Like, check your, check your own heart. See where you are spiritually. What's God's spirit saying to you? What's he convicting you? You're, you're responsible for your part in your spiritual growth. You can't control where other people are at. Yes, we are called to community. Yes, yes, yes. He'll have more to say about that as we go on. 
But let's not be more concerned about other people's spiritual walk than we are our own. Because what that leads to is, is, is this pride-fueled um, sort of Phariseeism, where we're going around and we're nitpicking and we're critiquing constantly, and we're never submitting ourselves to the, the Spirit of God, the, the work of the Word of God through the Spirit of God in our own hearts. If you grew up in church, you might have sang, there's a song we used to sing as kids, it's, it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God wants to do a work on, on our hearts. He wants to change us. He desires to enable us to become like Jesus. May we submit to that work. This is, this is something of a, of a theme in the New Testament. This passionate devotion to become more like Jesus. He says, therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence. He's saying, just because I'm not there doesn't mean that, that this, is, this is somehow not an issue anymore. You need to even more so now that I'm gone. Kids, uh, kids young people, I want to talk to you for just a second. Your character is not manifested in how you behave when somebody's looking over your shoulder. When there's a teacher checking on you, when mom and dad are checking on you, at some point, and I know if you're a teenager, you're loving and looking forward to this point. That there's nobody looking over your shoulder anymore. There's nobody telling you Sunday morning that you need to get up and go to church. There's nobody telling you to open up your Bible. There's nobody, nobody telling you not to, to turn away from that sin. There, there's, there's the Spirit of God. Hopefully you've surrounded yourself with some good people. But at the end of the day, this is... There's going to be a time when, like Paul, he wasn't around the Philippians. I'm not there to check up on you every day, he says. Young people, there, there's going to be a time when it's, it's just you and Jesus. And Jesus is the only one who's going to know what path you're going to take in that moment. And he's giving you every, every chance and every encouragement to make the right choice. But it will be up to you to decide what you're going to do in that moment. And those series of choices then become the path that you're walking down. Jesus said there's a path that leads to life and there's a path that leads to death. And based upon the things that you, your parents have taught you or you've, you've learned on your own or in church here, that's, that's going to anchor you onto the path that you're supposed to be on. In God's word, we can continually turn back to it and, and, and inform ourselves about what that path looks like and what Jesus has called us to. Paul says, even when I'm not around, continue to work out your salvation. There's a lot of other passages that, that explain this in different ways. Paul talked about this as a, as a good fight in, in 1 Timothy 6, 12. In Philippians 3, 3 12, and just a chapter or so, he's going to talk about it in terms of a race, about reaching that goal. He says, he says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. That's exactly what he's saying in these verses. Paul says, I'm striving towards that finish line. Listen, now Paul, this is Paul himself. Like this guy wrote 13 or 14 books of the New Testament. This is, this is the guy. And he says, I've not even taken hold of this yet. I'm not perfect. 
This is Paul here saying, in humility, i got a ways to go here, but it doesn't keep me from pressing forward. That's sanctification. That's spiritual growth. And so the first half, verse 12, we're commanded to live lives of act, active obedience. But here's the crucial second half that verse 13 points us to. Because God is mightily working in us to enable us to accomplish his will. Look at verse 13. For it's God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. That, that, that connecting word, in my translation it's the word for that starts off verse 13. That connecting word is a crucial hinge. That word enables the reality of verse 12 in your life and in mine. Verse 13 makes verse 12 possible. You cannot separate the two verses. If you do, you will run amok in the Christian life. If you take verse, thir- verse 12 alone, you can begin to get the notion that it's up to me to make all this happen. That I've got to go home today. I mean, after all, tomorrow is New Year's Day. And make my list of resolutions and say, I am going to be better in 2024. And I promise God that I am going to be better because I am motivated, because I just read this in the Bible. It's a new year. I'm going to start off fresh. And, and if you just take verse 12 by itself, you can get the idea that it's all up to me. I just need to know what, what to do and then go do it by sheer force of will. Then the other side of it is if you just take verse 13 by itself, it can lead to this passivity of like, well, I'm just waiting for God to do it. I'm just waiting for God to move me. I'm just waiting for him to make me more holy. I've been praying that he would take away the desire for this sin, but nothing seems to happen. I don't know. I'm just, he's got to do it because I'm just waiting for that. And verses 12 and 13 bring together this biblical picture of sanctification is that we work because he works. We're to pursue holiness because God is mightily working in us to enable us to do so. Look at it. It says, God works in you to will and to work according to his good purpose. I love that. He gives me the desire when I don't have it. Have you ever just honestly told God, God, I'm up this morning and I would much rather watch Sports Center than opening up, open up your word. I would much rather fill in the blank. Or maybe it's just, it's, it's flat out sin, and, and you're like, God, right now this sin looks better than anything else right now. I, I want to do this. And, and, and what, what happens is that as God is working in you, it says that he creates that desire to do what's right. I don't have to manufacture that. He, he creates that longing when we're feeling dry. He reminds us of his superior beauty when that sin looks oh so good. God is at work within us to will and to do. Not only does he give us the desire, but he gives us the strength. He enables us, he equips us in every way to do what is right. This tension shows up a lot in scripture. I just want to point it out in one place. You can turn there. I, I didn't, if you want, in Jude, the book of Jude, um, Poor Jude. I, I think Jude, I read once that Jude is the least preached book in the New Testament. 
Uh, so we, we need to do a sermon series on Jude just to give a shout out to him. Because there's some great, it's just one chapter. It's easy to lose right there before the book of Revelation. But there, is, there are some, some gems in this book. And if you notice, we're going to see this tension right here in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus and a brother of James, to those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. We are, we are according to Jude 1, kept for Jesus Christ. The idea is that he keeps us, all right, by his power. But then you jump over to verse 21, and you see this exhortation to keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Is Jude confused? Are we kept by God, or are we supposed to keep ourselves in the love of God? And the Scripture's answer is both. We see this tension all the way throughout the New Testament. Am I supposed to live a holy life, or is God doing it through me? Yes. The answer is yes. It's, it's, it's a, it's a spirit-fueled, grace-driven effort as we seek to walk with Jesus. We cannot do it without him. But we are called to actively pursue him. That's the tension. I love how John Murray summarized this. He says, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor is our working suspended because God works. God works and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God working in us. We have here not only the explanation of all acceptable activity on our part, but we also have the incentive to our willing and working. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. And therefore, all the glory goes to God. We work out our salvation because He is at work within us to will and to do according to His good pleasure. I want to just finish with a couple of thoughts by way of putting this into application that I think might help us as we seek to live out our salvation. And I, and I love this reminder. I didn't plan that this would come on the last Sunday of the year, but I love that this reminder is propelling us into the new year, that God has called us to holiness, but reminding us that he is the one equipping us for everything he's called us to. And I just want to point out a couple of things. First of all, I want you to remember that before we go any further, that you, if you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are one of his beloved ones. You are one of his treasured and beloved ones. Paul, Paul starts off verse 12, therefore, my dear friends, that, that, it's a beautiful word, agapetos. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's literally ones who are loved. And Paul uses this term of affection a lot, but it's not just Paul. We see that we see that, that comes directly from God and his view of us. If you've noticed, that Jude used the same word, but it wasn't coming from Jude toward the Christians. It was coming from God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who are the called, loved by God the Father. 
You see, there's a danger when we read the exhortations of Scripture, the the work-out-your-own-salvation sort of exhortations. There's a danger because those of us who are um, maybe driven people or or maybe people who who just struggled with our identity, maybe struggled to, to, to believe that we're loved and felt like with people in our life, maybe our parents, maybe our spouse, maybe our friends, and maybe even with God, that we've got to earn and maintain that affection. And that if I do good and I'm having a good day, then they'll be happy with me. But if I blow it, if I stink, if I sin, if I turn away, I'm in big trouble. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know in this room there's a lot of us who were sort of engineered to live that way. We, we, we lived with with people in our lives, or maybe currently do, where you just, you feel like you've got to perform in order to have that smile. You've got to work to get the pat on the back. And I want you to know that this exhortation to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, it's done from this foundation of a father who has accepted his children, who eternally loves his children, delights in them. We don't seek to obey and work out our salvation so that the Father will smile upon us. If you've trusted in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross and that he's risen again, if you've embraced Jesus, know that you are beloved ones this morning. You are treasured by God. Romans 15, 7, I know I quote it all the time. You've been welcomed by God. You you can rest in assurance and in full confidence that you are his. And he's happy about it. He treasures and delights in you. Paul's tenderness towards the Philippians in verse 12 is rooted in God's tenderness toward us. It's what Romans 8.1 says, Therefore there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I just wanted to start off with that. As you think about in 2024, working out your own salvation, notice that it's rooted in your acceptance by Jesus. We're not trying to earn his favor. We already have it. How much freedom is there in that? The second thing that this passage reminds us is that you have a mission. You've been called to something. Work out your own salvation. This, this is a command. This is not optional. He doesn't, he's not just directing this to the, the pastors at the Church of Philippi or those who want to go to the next level, this, 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 the, the, the straight A students or whatever. This is directed to all believers, and he says, you're called to work out your own salvation. This is not an optional thing. God has made you and I for a mission. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. God's been thinking about about the ways that we can live out our salvation since way before we even came around. God prepared these ahead of time, and he's created us in Christ Jesus so that we can work out our salvation, so that we can honor him with our lives. Some of us 
really need to hear that this morning. Some of us are on the sidelines. We're just, just showing up to church a couple times a month and soaking it in, enjoying some worship, and glad that there's some programs for our kids. And our faith really makes little difference throughout the week. And I want you to know this morning that that's, that's not what you've been called to. Some of you, as we go into the new year, need to get off your butts and, and, and begin to pursue Jesus because he's created you for this. It's not a just get better, just be better message. It's an invitation from Jesus into his life and work. He's invited you to be a part of what he's doing. It's, it's not go do this for me, but it's come do this with me. Be a part of the gospel going forth into the world. Be a part of worship. Be a, be a part of using your gifts. You've been created for this. Imagine you meet a new friend at a, at a coffee shop. You guys are you're sitting there ordering your coffees. You realize that you have the same drink and you know, all of a sudden you start chatting and you strike up a friendship and uh, this new friend invites you over to their house to enjoy a cup of coffee there and to get to know one another better. And you go over there and you're chatting for a little while and you hear a noise in the room and they say, oh, that's, that's, my, that's my son Johnny. He's just waking up from his nap. You want to come in and meet him? And you said, sure, I'd love to meet your child. And you go back there and you notice in the crib that there's a 35-year-old man curled up, wearing a diaper, sucking on a pacifier, and asking for his bottle. You'd have some questions, naturally. What's going on here? Is everything okay with Johnny? He's a perfectly healthy adult man. Well, then why is he, why is he in a diaper and acting like a baby? They're like, well, we just never thought he needed to go beyond that. He's never really wanted to, and so we just kind of let him do what he wants. You'd, you'd be concerned, rightfully. And, and, and that's a picture in the New Testament. In fact, I believe it's Peter. Could be, it was either Peter or Paul who's like, you guys should be... You guys should be eating milk now. I mean, you guys should be eating meat now, but you're still drinking milk. He actually says that. You guys are still spiritual babies. And you should be grabbing a big steak, and I've still got to give you the bottle. For some of us, that, that, we're, we're okay with the bottle. We're okay with where we are. It's fine. A little sin, a little free time, me time. I can do what I want. Show up at church every now and then, maybe throw a little bit of money in the box to leave my conscience, and we're good to go. That's not the Christian life. Read the New Testament. He has called you to be all in. He's called you to pursue Jesus. He's given you a task. And notice, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not calling you to be afraid, but he, he says, I want you to live in a way that you, you live in awe and reverence in the presence of God, the Almighty God. You stand amazed, like we just sang, in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And out of that awe and wonder, you pursue him in obedience and holiness. This isn't a game. There's a seriousness to this task of living out our gospel commitment. And we're all called to be a part. And that's a glorious privilege. 
The third thing I want to point out just briefly is remember, you're a work in progress. Notice that the tense is active. God is working in you. God is working. It's an ongoing thing. Okay, so we have the, uh, the, the one extreme we just mentioned of maybe some of us who are like, yeah, I'm really just, I'm just kind of here for the, the music or I'm here for the, the snacks and coffee, but it's whatever. But then there's the other extreme of, of like freaking out all the time because I don't have everything together all the time. And we don't have time to go down that road too much. Some of you are perfectionists. And some of you are, are too hard on yourselves. And so, so when you give in to that temptation or you, you, you skip a time of worship or, or whatever, you, all of a sudden you're beating yourself up. And Listen, go back to that. You're accepted in the beloved. You're a work in progress. He is at work, all right? It's an ongoing thing. Paul said it in chapter 3, verse 12. He said, I've not already attained perfection. This was Paul. If he hasn't, you and I haven't. We're a work in progress. Be confident in what Jesus is doing. We saw back in chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is actively at work in the hearts of his people. This means that those who have trusted in him are the personal recipients of God's attentive movements, and he is, he is working in you to bring about what he wants. And that's the fourth point. God is doing something in your life. God is working, verse 13 says. He is at work. God is doing something. Listen, my brothers and sisters, some of you came in here this morning and you're feeling beat up. You're struggling. Maybe, maybe this holiday season has, has been really hard for one reason or another. Maybe 2023 has been really hard. Maybe these last four years have been really, really hard for one reason or another. Have been, have been struggle financially or in your health or relationally, in your family, wh whatever it might be. And sometimes it can feel like maybe God has forgotten us. But know that God is at work in your life, even through those really hard things, even through those really confounding things. I would say, and I think Scripture backs me up, especially through those things, especially through those moments that drive us to our knees, I was just reading last night an update from a pastor I follow on Twitter. I like, I like a lot of the things he notes in there. And unexpectedly, uh, about three days before Christmas, their teenage daughter began having seizures. And they got her to the hospital, but she had seizures for 24 hours, 22 hours straight, I think he said. She's unconscious. She's on a ventilator. They got her airlifted. They got her stable enough to airlift her to a, another hospital. Uh, that, was, that was more specialized in being able to take care of her situation. They haven't talked to her since before Christmas. They don't know what's going to happen through this. But as I'm reading his, his faith and hope-fueled and laced post, I couldn't help but think about what we were going to be talking about today, that God is up to something. And in those moments, those darkest of moments, or when we wonder, what in the world is going on here, God? Are you asleep at the wheel? Did you, did you forget about me? And Paul wants the Philippians to remember. Remember, he's writing from prison. He's already talked to the Philippians about how God has taken this ugly situation and used it for the, the, the propagation of the gospel. 
back in chapter 1. I want you to know this morning, my brothers and sisters, whatever is happening, even, and I think scripture will attest to this, even in our stupid decisions and sin, like stuff that's our own foolishness, God is still at work because God's that big. He can take suffering, he can take evil, he can take our own sin, and he can bring it about for his purposes. God is working, whether you see it or not. Take his word for it. Believe him. He is there in those moments, and he is at work bringing about his will and his good pleasure in our hearts and lives. So what all this means, my brothers and sisters, is that you're equipped. You're equipped. Whatever he allows into your life, whatever he's called you to do, you're equipped. And what a great time to, to just stop today, this afternoon, this evening, and reflect on it as we come into a new year. How is God calling me to work out my salvation in his strength in 2024? Stop and give yourself time to listen to the Spirit of God speak to you. Take it, I know we're all busy. Take, start with 15 minutes. Start with five and, and, and work it up. See if you can find a way to get away for a half a day and, and just get quiet with the Lord and cry out to Him and say, God, what are you calling me to do? What, what are you calling me to maybe stop doing? And be willing to listen to the Spirit's voice. And remember that whatever he's called you to do, he's equipped you for. As we go into this new year, this passage is a reminder that God's at work. And he's doing something. And that something, at the bottom of it, is conforming us into the image of his beloved son. And he's calling us into mission. Let's take some time to, to pray and ask what that might look like as we come into this year. As we, as we close... And as we pray, I want to just invite you, feel free to just, just quietly stay where you are, or you can come to the front. There'll be a few of us up here who'd love to pray with you. If, if God's at work on your heart, uh, don't just rush off. I know, again, I know we're busy, but, but just take some time to stay in, and pray about this and let God work and, and speak to you. And I have a benediction that I'll, that I'll share with you that it's, it's from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, and it's, it speaks exactly to what Paul's saying here in Philippians 2. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that we've been called to work out our own salvation. Thank you, God, that we don't have to work for our salvation, that the work is finished by Jesus Christ. And I, God, I pray that if there's those here who have never embraced that and made, made Jesus their own, embraced him as their savior, that his knowing that his death and resurrection was sufficient to pay for their sins, may today be that day. And God, I pray that those who here who do know him, that, that today would be a, an important reminder that we're called to, to work out our salvation. There's no neutrality. There's no cruise control. There's, there's no coasting in the Christian life. We're called to growth. We're called to mission. But it's all by your grace and strength that we can do this. Not only is that good news that keeps us from burning out and being exhausted all the time, 
and turning into legalists, but it reminds us also that at the end of the day, anything that good that happens through us, you're going to get the glory because you are the one fueling it. God, I pray that you would strengthen us in every way for what you're calling us to today. And as we turn this corner into a new year, God, I pray that we would take some time to reflect on what you're calling us to. How specifically you're calling us to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Knowing that it's you who's at work in us. God, whether, that's, whether your spirit is convicting some of us of, of a specific sin right now that you're calling us to repent of to confess before you and turn away and maybe invite brothers and sisters to walk alongside of us to, uh, to check in on and, and, and encourage and exhort one another. M- maybe, it's, maybe it's a particular area of giftedness you've called us to, God. I mean, we know that, we know that you've been knocking on our heart's door to, to use that gift and, and we're, we've just been ignoring it, making excuses. Whatever this looks like, Father, I pray that we would lean into what your spirit is telling us. What a great time to do that. Thank you, God, that you equip us for these things, that you make us sufficient for these things. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless you as you live.